Final Night Poetry Slam. I want to sew the world into its sheets. I want to beat it with a bat until the warning sticks. A handgun is a machine. I'm tired of holding the wounded animal of my heart and instructing it on how to bleed. All I see are stars in the mouth of a tiny ghost. Hello and welcome back and oh my god what craziness has happened since the last time we spoke. Oh my goodness. So for those who have not kept up and followed up with what's going on, this last weekend saw the annual College Union Poetry Slam Invitational Tournament that is exclusively for college credentialed Poetry Slam teams. It's like the College National Poetry Slam. And it was held in Chicago. Well, Chicago is also the birthplace of this format that we call Poetry Slam. Its inventor is Mark Smith. He's someone who gets shouted out at just about every Poetry Slam you're going to go to. And his callback is always, so what? Well, he was the feature at the finals of this year's Cupsy College Union Poetry Slam Invitational, uh, tournament. Mark Smith has not aged as well as his creation, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, he gets up there and he reads some problematic poems, uh, poems that these college-age revolutionary uh, young poets do not approve of, and they let him know they did not approve of the poems he was reading. Uh, as soon as he started going on about how he is the slam poppy, P-A-P-I, as soon as he started going on about how none of those poets would be there if not for him, as, as he starts going on about how he is uh, quote-unquote brown when he gets a, a sunburn or a, a tan in the summer, but his insides are, are made of ink, black as ink, the crowd started letting him know that they did not appreciate that. Half of them got up and left during his set, during his feature. The other half stood up and turned their backs to him while he was reading poems and let him finish, but the backs to him was a protest that they were just not having any of what he was saying. And instead of owning up to what was going on, instead of you know opening a dialogue or at least following up on the dialogue that had been opened by the audience, he started getting belligerent. He asked if the crowd was done protesting him, and that's when a revolution occurred, for lack of any better term. A revolution occurred at this year's Cup C Finals, where all of the teams and their coaches decided that they were not going to have any more of this nonsense. And they pretty much booed Mark Smith off the stage. They overtook the show and basically said, we are not going to compete. Tonight, the four teams that made to finals are not going to compete against each other. And I applaud them for this. This was an absolute, wonderful, brave, courageous act of their own influence over the situation. 
they said, we are not going to play by the rules that have been given to us because we don't feel like we've been respected in this space. Uh, this guy that most of our competitors have never met, have really only heard of second or third hand at you know poetry, slam, spiels, uh, this guy does not represent who we are and what slam is right now. And they overtook that stage and they said, we're just going to make this a showcase. We are not even going to mess with points or scores. We are just going to let you know these are the poems that we did. These are what we think represent our best work. And here is our treat to you. And that was amazing. That was such a great empowerment. That was such a great moment. Not just for uh, College Union Poetry Slam Invitation. Not just for Cupsy, but for Slam in general. It was amazing. There's been some kind of crazy fallout that has happened from this act, uh, some of which is good, some of which I don't personally happen to agree with. The protest itself, what the teams and the coaches had to say and why they did what they did, I am all for it. I am 100% in support of all of the participants and everything that they stood for that night, uh, saying that your time has passed, this is our time now, and this is the way we want to do things, that was amazing. For some reason, uh, some kind of ancillary fallout has occurred to, as a result of this protest. Or the most confusing of which to me is this anti-button poetry sentiment that's, that's gone on. Now, for a little bit of context, one of the uh, issues being demanded at this Cupsy final stage was that they did not want... Button Poetry, who was contracted to be there and film the poems, they did not want Button Poetry to film the final stage, which was well within their right. They withdrew their consent to being filmed. Button, from what I understand, did not make a fuss about it. They did not protest the protest. They simply turned their cameras off and did not film what was going on. But that started a whole bunch of backlash on social media talking about how button poetry is exploitive and button poetry is bad for the people who are on the channel and all of these crazy claims. Now, I'm not an expert in this field, but I think I know enough based on my own personal experience and the experiences of people that have worked more closely with button than I to say with a certain level of expertise that there is nothing exploitive going on at the Button Poetry YouTube channel. I, I'm going to go ahead and put myself out there like that. I have one video that I share with Pauly Lippman and Connor Marvin. You should check it out. It's called Go Be Great. It's uh, one of the best poems that I've ever been a part of. It's had very, very moderate success. Not nearly enough to cause any kind of buzz. But there are poets on that channel that have had a lot of success. The poets on that channel have seen in the millions of views. And Button Poetry, as a company, has decided that if a video, if a poet, reaches a certain number of views on this channel, then Button will share the ad revenue residuals with that poet, which is unheard of. This is not something anyone does uh, anywhere in 
any kind of video editing or video production or distribution that I know of. If there's anyone out there that does this that I'm just not aware of, then let me know. I would love to plug you as well on this podcast. But as far as I know, Button Poetry is the only one out there that is a video sharing and distribution service that shares its ad revenue with its poets. Of course, they have to meet a certain number of views to even get that ad revenue because Button Poetry doesn't even get paid until the videos reach that certain number of views. So not everyone gets paid, and that's just the way of not only Button, but that's the way of YouTube. That's the way the business model is built. Also, Button has been very good about taking down poems when poets withdraw their consent. They've been very good about not even recording or putting poems up if a poet refuses to be filmed if they do not give their consent in the first place. They, to my knowledge, only have very kind of outlier stories about any kind of bad interaction with poets, and it's not anything foundational to the business practice of Button. The foundation of the business is, you don't want to be filmed, we won't film you. And even if you tell them that you don't want to be put up online on YouTube, you can still purchase the video for your own private use they will edit it for you and get it to you i've even heard of some cases where a poet refused to be filmed by button yet still got the uh, raw audio footage for cds or for their own purposes for free that button didn't even charge them for they said you know what i'm sorry you didn't want to film us um here's the audio we weren't going to use it anyway best luck to you now i don't know of any other kind of company in the publishing realm that goes to this length to take care of its poets, to to be a true curator for this thing we call Poetry Slam. In fact, I'd probably go so far as to say that anyone who is familiar with modern spoken word poetry and not a part of Poetry Slam is only familiar with it because of Button Poetry. The reach of this YouTube channel is long, it's wide, it is tremendous, and it has really brought this thing that we do called Poetry Slam to eyeballs and and eardrums that would not have experienced it otherwise because they don't have a local slam where they go to because they don't have the time in their schedule to take a day out of the week or out of the month to go to that slam because they didn't even know that this thing existed, but now they know that there are poets out there that is alive, it is thriving because of this YouTube channel. So I have no idea how anyone could have a problem with this organization. I'm going to put that out there. And I've already told you, full disclosure, I have a poem on there that I share with two other people. It has never made me or them, as far as I know, any kind of money, but I'm still very, very proud that it's up there because I'm very, very proud of that poem. Alright, that's my soapbox, my rant is over, and that's going to lead into what happened at the Mercury Cafe, so we'll uh, talk about that on the other side of the bump. Denver! 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 Queen City of the Plains! Lift high our spirit, sing well our praise, for in you we live, and our love. All right, before we get into the Mercury Cafe, I just got to say thank you one more time to our guest last week, Piper Mullins. It was a great interview. If you haven't heard it, then go into the archives and check that out. I'm also going to say that uh, I actually had a bit of a miscommunication, a bit of a misstep with my very first episode, the one with uh, Ian Doggerty, 
where I inadvertently credited a sound clip during his feature to one poem when it was uh, not that poem. I, I inadvertently credited a sound clip to uh, Boom to Boom, which was, in fact, not from that poem. It was from, wait, I was talking about the moon. So I felt really, really bad about this, and as soon as I was made aware of it, I started thinking about like what I could do to correct this situation. And it took me a little bit, but I think the best thing for me to do is to play you a clip from the original Boom to Boom, and to give you a little bit more context with that. So like I said, this is from my very first episode. I was still kind of figuring things out, uh, still trying to figure out the format and what I was doing, and and trying to rush to get the actual episode out. So I apologize publicly to Ian for miscrediting him, and I'm going to play you a quick clip from that poem, Boom to Boom. Home is where the heart stops beating itself up. Maybe someday, but not today, not on Tuesdays. Spent too many days not caring. All right, with that, we're going to talk about the open mic at the Mercury Cafe. The open mic happened last Sunday, the 16th, and it had eight members on its open mic. They were Puck Lone Wolf, Ben Silvetti, Adaku, Roman Flux, Jamie Covarubius, Stylo Marx, Elnora Fuentes, and Paulie Lippman. I'm just going to play you a couple of clips from that uh, open mic. First off, we're going to play you one from Stylo Marx, who uh, really knew how to set up his poem and really had, knew how to get the crowd going. There's one thing Mercury Cafe does to do. This is, of course, a callback, whether Stylo realized it or not, a callback to the late, great Lenny Trinello, Lenny C., who was very fond of starting off his sets by saying, we don't fuck around, we don't waste your time. And that's where the callback for the Mercury Cafe came from. It's, it's an honorarium to Lenny C., to Lenny Trinella. And, of course, after Stylo gets up and preps the crowd like that, it is incumbent upon him not to fuck around and not to waste your time. So he gave us uh, two poems that got right to the point, that got exactly to where he needed to be. So thank you so much for that callback, Stylo Marks. We're going to keep Lenny C. in our hearts and our minds and in our poems for as long as we possibly can. Next, we had Elnora Fuentes, who read a new piece I had not heard before. Now, Elnora is a regular visitor to the Mercury Cafe and used to actually host the open mic on a semi-regular basis, but hasn't really gone up to the stage to deliver a poem in a while. So it was really nice, really refreshing to see her get back up on that stage. And this poem was really good. It had a lot of intricacies, a lot of flips and turns. So I'm going to play you a quick clip from that one. I am climate change denial, anti-vax, war on drugs, pull yourself up by your bootstraps level of lying to myself. Despite any and all evidence to the contrary. And much like Stylo Marx before her, Elnora did not fuck around, did not waste her time. This whole poem was about jealousy and about how she is jealous of most of the people she comes in contact with in in straightforward ways, but also in ironic ways. You know, she starts the poem off saying, I'm jealous of the skinny girl in yoga next to me. I'm also jealous of the fat girl in yoga next to me and how they are both so comfortable in their bodies. Uh, the point being that Elnora is jealous of that comfort, is jealous of not so much the body type, but the approach, the attitude, and just kind of like takes that concept and runs with it. So like I said, it was really refreshing to hear Elnora on that open mic because it's been a while since we heard her, and I always love to have her on there. Her voice is so important and is always welcome whenever we have the chance to hear it. Finally, we had the mainstay, Paulie Littman, Getting up there, he has been on a tear. He's been on a rash of brand new poems. 
I think the last couple of times he's read in the open mic, that's always included something new, whether it was complete, incomplete, a small clip, a longer clip. So I'm going to play you a longer clip from one of Polly's newer poems. I have no two-sentences slogan to sum up the fact that my brain chemistry will not allow me to fully human today. Also, Polly has been really going a lot personal with these last couple of pieces. He's been really digging deep. Um, this is a trend that has continued, and I'm really excited, really happy to see his writing turn this direction. Even in the past, when his writing has been personal, it's always been guarded in a way that that really insulated who he was to the audience. But this, these poems that Polly's coming out with, really reach to the heart of of how he identifies himself, of who he is, how he wants you to identify who this person is named Paulie Lippman. And it's been just really, really nice seeing this level of identity, this level of this level of vulnerability on the open mic coming from Paulie, who traditionally is a slammer. But like I said, he's been on just a, a tear of new stuff and I'm I've been really, really impressed with what I've heard so far. Next we move on to your slam. Oh my god, was this ever a killer of a slam? We had Johnny Osai, Wheeler Light, Catherine Grace, Jess Nieberg, Connor Marvin, Hakeem Furious came back. We haven't seen him in a long time. It was so great to see him back. We had Elijah, and we had Matty Koya, uh, other, otherwise known as Uncle Madison, to those who have been around for a little while. Not a weak name on this list. Everybody is capable of going very, very hard. Everybody is capable of taking any given Sunday night. So it was just so great to see all these names on this list just given their all. Some people reading brand new stuff. Some people uh, just going on like what they know is going to win over a crowd. Some people just taking risks. Some people just going right for your guts, right for your emotions. It was such a fantastic slam. I can't even express to you how privileged everyone was to be in that room on that night. I'm going to play you a couple of quick clips from that first round. Uh, I already read off the names for you in that first round. I'm just going to highlight some newer pieces to start us off here. Wheeler Light read a brand new piece that he just wrote that was all about the guillotine that I thought was magnificent. I thought it was really good. The crowd didn't seem to follow along with what he was trying to say, so he unfortunately did not make it out of that first round. I'm going to play you this really quick clip of guillotine so you can have more of a context of what was going on here. I pay my taxes. The customer is always right. Let's bring the guillotine back. I'm buying. Now, satire has always been a gamble when you're talking about public performance of a spoken medium because it's not always 100% a guarantee that the audience is going to pick up on your satire, that there's no guarantee that they're even going to get what you're trying to say. A lot of people just take what you have to say at face value. They don't wait for any kind of a turn. They don't uh, look for subtext. They don't really try and find any other kind of meanings of what's going on in your poems. At least that, that can be the case. That can be a risk you take with satire. So Wheeler gets up there and does this very satirical piece about how the American justice system should just start incorporating the guillotine because it's economically and environmentally friendly, because uh, we're tired of wasting bullets, because it's 
uh, quicker, more humane way of killing people, and who's better at killing Americans than Americans? Oh my god, it was such a good poem, but it was very satirical, and I think that's my hypothesis as to how and why he did not make it out of the first round, because sometimes people just don't key into those things. Or sometimes they understand what's going on, and they just don't appreciate the subject matter, the content, they don't appreciate what you're actually talking about, and there's like certain key buzzwords that set just people on edge, and doesn't matter how they're used or for what purpose sometimes people just attach to certain words or phrases or topics and they they can't separate that from the theme from the larger point that you're trying to do either way i thought it was a shame that wheeler did not make it out of the first round because i thought this poem was really great speaking of brand new really great poems we had Catherine grace getting up on that first round reading a brand new piece where she does persona of the whore of babylon and is laced with imagery, is laced with allusion and reference, not just to that particular uh, character in the Bible, not just that particular time, but all kinds of of imagery going on here that just plays with each other and off each other. I'll play you a quick clip of that one so you can get some context for what I'm talking about. I am the whore of Babylon. When St. John wrote Revelations, he got me exactly right. Now, this poem was extremely well received. Uh, she got a standing ovation by a couple of people in the crowd. One of them was a judge. One of the judges just absolutely loved this poem, and everyone really received this piece very, very well. Uh, it was put together very well. Catherine has been really hitting her stride with performance, with really connecting the audience to what she wants to say and how she wants to deliver that piece and everyone really keying in and getting exactly what is happening on the stage. So I think she is a force to reckon with when it's going to come time for the Mercury Cafe team selection. Uh, both her and Wheeler, I have been told, are going to throw their hats in the ring to try to make this Mercury Cafe team. And so just that right there, you know it's going to be a great night especially coming with brand new pieces of this caliber. Oh my god, I can't even, I can't even, I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. Now the last clip I'm going to play for you in this first round comes from an old friend, Hakeem Furious, who was on the Mercury Cafe team a number of years ago when the team made it to the finals of the National Poetry Slam. He was on that fourth place finishing team. Now he has since become one of the co-slam masters of Slam Nuba in town, and we just don't get to see him very much anymore. So it was such a treat to see him come back. Now, a little bit of context for this first round piece. Uh, Hakeem gets up there, and he starts reading a poem, and he drops it maybe 15, 20 seconds into the piece, and he's like, oh, man, I can't remember this poem. And so then he starts like saying, okay, I'm just going to read a, another poem. He starts reading a different poem for about 15 seconds and drops it again. He was like, oh, I, I just, I don't have a lot of poems memorized, I'm sorry. But to demonstrate just how charismatic and likable this human being is, he dropped two different poems, read a third one that was kind of like shortened up because he was feeling the time crunch, and he still scored high enough to make it out of the first round. That is just unheard of in most slam situations. Not only did he drop one poem, not two poems, he read a shortened version of a third poem and did such a good job of winning the audience over he made it out of that first round and into the second round it was a quite a, a spectacle to see and Hakeem is really one of the sweetest human beings one of the nicest people and a phenomenal fantastic writer in his own right which connects back to that 2015 fourth place finishing team now, Hakeem Furious 
is not only this charismatic, is not only this personal and likable, but his writing is, is very, very good, which is probably why he was able to rebound as well as he was. Uh, a lesser poet, a lesser performer would have been just done in by what happened in that first round, but not Hakeem. Oh no, he rebounds, he gathers his strength, he comes back at you, and by the end of that three minutes, you forgot that he even attempted two other poems before that successful third one, because you're just so wrapped up in what's happening in the moment. You can't help but fall in love with him and with his poetry. So that's what happened in the first round. Our second round was Catherine Grace, Johnny Osai, Hakeem Furious, like I said, and Elijah had the high score. Catherine Grace keeps coming with the new stuff. Catherine reads another brand new piece, at least one I had never heard before, on the second round that was all about Harry Potter and about how Draco Malfoy is a representation of the cis-hetero white man. But then she completely flips it around by saying that, you know what, Harry Potter is also a representation of the cis hetero white man and did such a great job with it the the connection she was making between all these things was so smart it was so well crafted this poem that makes you think about something in a way you probably hadn't thought about it while the audience did respond warmly to this piece she did not score well enough to make it out of this second round which was a shame because you know what i'm sure she had some more new stuff she was going to read in that third round because why not it was it was new Poem Night for Catherine Grace. So that's a, that's a shame. I'm going to play you another quick clip from Catherine. This is from, from the Harry Potter piece. Harry Potter is similarly a perfect symbol of the cis white male patriarchy. He endured an adolescence that should have made him a better person, the kind of childhood that someone should have grown from. Instead, he finds himself chosen above everyone, broom zooming over all the unfamous people. Also in the second round, we had a mainstay of the scene, Johnny Osai. He did one of his more well-known pieces, Fishbowl, which is all about his struggles with addiction. It really does kind of chronicle his mindset back when he was uh, an addict up into today. And it starts off very surreal because that is the feeling he wants to impart to the crowd. Uh, We can infer, we can connect, we can imply from this that those days were very surreal for him. And that's the sort of feeling that he wants you to be immersed in right from the beginning, right from the outset to this. And then from there, he makes it more and more concrete, more and more applicable to the people in the audience. And by the end, everyone knows exactly what's going on, this idea of fishbowl. So I'll play you a quick clip from Johnny Osai. I remember drinking. Not like I was thirsty, but like I needed empty bottles, shards of glass to make me something beautiful. When I was going to be so beautiful. Again, just a really well put together poem, just really well thought out and just well crafted from Johnny Osai. So much imagery going on here. This idea of like, I needed shards of glass to make myself beautiful and I was going to be so beautiful. The imagery, the way he performs it, it is just so well done, so well executed. And again, it was one of those where the crowd really liked it, but he did not score well enough to make it out of the second round. So we had Hakeem Furious getting back up on there and he read one of his shorter pieces 
uh, Black Lives Matter. If Black Lives Matter was a terrorist organization, you would know that shit. I want to play you a quick clip from that one so you can kind of get the feeling of what he was talking about. If Black Lives Matter was a terrorist hate group, you would know that shit. We would raid all the fresh food from your health stores, turn your neighborhood into a Sahara, and then call it karma. Now this one is exactly what it needs to be. It is Hakeem getting up on there just calling the white media, calling the right wing, calling uh, calling out anyone who thinks Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, and just putting them completely at the forefront of what really is going on there. It is phenomenal. It's a, it's a shorter piece, it packs quite a punch, and he does not mince words. He gets up there and he's like, oh really, you think Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization? Well, if it were, this is what the world would look like. And he just starts going in and just such a biting, biting commentary on not just Black Lives Matter, but the media and how they're portrayed, and the bias when we're talking about black protesters versus white protesters it is such a good piece and it was enough to get him into the third round the other participant in that was elijah with keep my cd spinning another one of his classics another one of his great ones and if you've been listening to this podcast you should have some context and background for that i've definitely included a clip of keep my cd spinning in the second episode so you want to go back and check that out for anyone who's never heard that before it is such a good piece such a a great commentary on hip-hop and the state of hip-hop not just hip-hop but the state of music and how like hip-hop artists are complete products of their packaging and, and marketing and and how we are sold an image oh my god so good but then we had our final round with hakeem furious and Elijah. So just like the first round, Hakeem gets up there and he starts reading a poem. He completely forgets it. And he said, you know what? I don't have many poems memorized anymore. And then he just gets up and does one of his uh, songs. He, he is a member of a hip-hop collective, uh, Cap 6, Black on Black Rhyme. So he does one of his songs, Advice from Tiger Woods. I'll play you a clip from that. You can get the feeling of what he was going for with this piece. At the masses with the stroke of genius, shot a birdie. Cap six, got the jams that need preserving. Got the type of squad to hit a stage and leave it burning. Give the game light because we get away with murder. This is such a fun piece for the audience because it is interactive. The whole callback, the the jelly, and you know when to put it in there. You, you're waiting for it, you're having fun, and then he goes into the verse and it starts talking about like advice from Tiger Woods, and it just makes all kinds of connections. It's a really good, really fun piece. Unfortunately, he did get a time penalty in this final round, and that time penalty was was the the biggest difference maker in our winner and our loser here. But before we get to that point, I'm going to play you this uh, clip from Elijah. This is from his Moses piece from Slow Mo that he read a couple of weeks ago for the first time on the open mic and has since cut down, because last time we heard it, it was a little longer, and he's definitely made some edits to it. The edits were, I think, exactly what the poem needed. Um, It's a poem you really have to follow from beginning to end, because he makes a lot of different connections, a lot of commentary on addiction, on this idea of Moses. I don't even know if I'm doing it right. So let me play you the clip here, and so you can kind of get a little context for what I'm talking about. Moses had addiction like his dad, who ran out on the family and died, which ran in his family. Moses ran fast. He used to run away. Then he turned around, realized he had hands, 
fast hands, started running up on anyone who ran their mouth. Eli's writing has been just so expansive these last couple of weeks. Both of the new things he's coming out with are just complex, deep, really intricately patterned works. And they are a departure from what we normally see and hear, not so much from Eli, but from Slam in general. Slam is such an identity-based venue that a lot of what gets rewarded in a competition has to do with the poet themselves and, and how they navigate the world and, and how they interact with people around them. But Eli has really been reaching beyond himself and making different connections to society, to history, to uh, image, to persona, and, and really just throwing all those into a pot, stirring them together, and just seeing what comes out. And this was no exception to that. This was such a complex piece that I would need to give it a couple more listens to really kind of unpack and, and, and find out what all he's trying to say in this poem. And then Eli, for his victory lap, gets up there and does a stand-up comedy routine of all the things where he starts talking about the internet and how he doesn't really know how to do the internet and the ATM. And uh, I don't want to tip too much of a hand here. I'm going to play you a clip from Eli's victory lap, which just goes to highlight how expansive Eli is getting lately. I'll play this for you, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. But this lady I was following on Twitter, she had tweeted, I'm getting this money, ATM. And I didn't understand why she would say that, because what she meant is getting this money at the moment, but what I thought she meant was, you know, getting this money, you know, ass to mouth. And of course, Eli does not stop there. He keeps going on about ass to mouth and eating ass and oh my god, I I can't even with with what this kid did on his victory lap. It was insane. It was so crazy. Oh, so that was your three round slam with all of its twists and turns, all of its majesty and its magnificence. And all of this is to say that anyone who was not there this last Sunday, missed out on one hell of a slam, one hell of a three rounds. First, second, third, there was not a down moment. Every single poet came with an agenda. Every single poet came to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish, whether that was reading a new piece or whether it was like going in, going hard, going for your feelings, experimenting, you know, like really saying what they wanted to say. There, there aren't a whole lot of slams that are consistently good every single poet from beginning to end, but this was one of those slams. Uh, all that is to just really make any of you who didn't make it out there and are listening to this so jealous that you want to go there this next Sunday at the Mercury Cafe. So I'm just going to talk about uh, all of the the events and all of the, the newsworthy notes after we give you your interview this week. And I'm so excited we got uh, this person to come on to the show and give us an interview uh, this week, your interview was with the Mercury Cafe current Slam Master, Jill Carno. All right, our guest this week is the current Slam Master of the Mercury Cafe, Jill Carno. How are you doing, Jill? I'm doing good. How are you? Thank you so much for agreeing to be the the interview this week. I'm doing really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you the same question that I always start off asking. Okay. Why Slam? What, what brought you to this venue, to this medium? Oh, God. It's a funny story, actually. Um, so I didn't have any friends in Denver yet. 
I had like a loose acquaintance from Connecticut. And so he introduced me to this girl and she was like, I, I love the slam at the Merc. You should go with me. And then we were getting ready to go and she called and canceled and she's like, not going to go. And so I was like, well, I was excited about it. So I'm still going to go. I've never seen that girl there ever in my whole time going. And I've pretty much gone every week since then. But <laughs> we didn't end up being friends, but I ended up loving Slam and never leaving it. So, yeah. So kind of tricked into going and you've just <laughs> kept on going back. Exactly. Like. Well, you not only are a pretty recent Slam master, but you are actually pretty new to Denver. Yes, uh, give us a little history background. Like, where'd you come from? Why, why'd you end up moving here? What's going on there? <laughs> so, like, this is, like, a much funnier question, like, when I first was, like, coming out here because it, I was, like, I didn't have a reason to come to Denver. I'd never been to Colorado before I moved here. Um, it was, like, sheer, like, divorce and new opportunities, which is, like, a really hard way to, like, meet people like where are you from why'd you come here and it's like oh divorce and new opportunities how do you feel about that great <laughs> you know but I mean that's real I, I wanted to change careers and I um, needed to get away from home and I applied for jobs all over the country and I got one in Louisville Colorado and I took it and I'm coming up on my second year anniversary here April 26th and yeah I drove myself out here with all my shit. I'm yeah, here. <laughs> What's your history with writing? Um, like, when do you remember start writing poetry? How long have you been doing it seriously? Do you even do it seriously now? Um, so, I wrote as a kid. And so, like, I remember doing writing competitions a little bit when I was a kid, but more, like, literary writing. Um, so, I like, my primary age for writing was like between like 13 and 16 I wrote tons of poetry and it's pretty bad but <laughs> I still have some of it and and it's you know it's fun to check out um and then I just like stopped writing forever I did more visual arts for a while um then I stopped creating in total um I have like a sordid history with the arts you know I've been in theater I've done some visual arts I, d I dabbled in poetry when I was young, and then I came to the Poetry Slam, and I didn't write for a really long time, and then I wrote some shitty poems, and <laughs> I, I sent them to Ryan McGarra, who was on the team last year, and, um, you know, eventually I just was like, now I have one that I want to read. Um, so you are a pretty new Slam master here at the Mercury Cafe. Yes, very new. What has been the most challenging part, and what has been the most rewarding part? of you being a slime master? The most challenging part is, um, I think some people have expectations that are really challenging to meet because people are messy. And so I think that's been the hardest part is trying to deal with interpersonal dynamics that I don't necessarily have control over. Um, the, the best part, the most rewarding part is giving people a stage and being a positive person in a venue and just like really getting to meet a whole bunch of new people and get excited about their work and yeah just facilitate that process that's been the best 
just wish there was no drama, but you know, we wouldn't have poetry without drama, so it's cool. Uh, I don't think we'd have really any community without drama. You're yeah. Music, theater, poetry, whatever. I no. Think it's, it's par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that new slam masters and that all slam masters in general mm-hmm. um, tend to do is they want to put their kind of mark, their thumbprint on what's going on. They can do this by having certain features come through, by having side events or dedicating a night to a certain theme. Um, what is your philosophy on the direction that the Mercury Cafe is going, should go, should be going? What do you think? I don't, like, I think, honestly, I think my take on it is that I am very community-oriented. And so people will bring ideas to me, and generally I can get excited about them, and we can we can do that. So I think it's just, for me, like as a slam master, I don't so much want to put my mark on it, but I want to put our mark on it. You know, I don't, I don't have like a personal agenda for the slam. Um, because like that wouldn't, that wouldn't be very community friendly. Like if I just was like, all right, you've got to, you've got to do this thing that I'm super excited about, but I don't know if you're excited about it. That's, that's not really slam culture. (laughs) So, I mean, I just think, I try to listen to what people tell me, so we're definitely going to do a haiku death match again, because uh, Angela Nicole was really excited about that, and I think there's there's people who would be super jazzed about it, and you know I'm going to say weird things like jazzed because that's who I am. Okay, you can say jazzed. That's okay. <laughs> you know you're talking to the reigning haiku champion of Denver, Colorado. I did not know that, Eddie. The last time we had a, a haiku death match, I, I was the, the winner of that one. You won that one? Yes. See, there were some awkward haikus in that one. Yeah, probably, and I Yeah, there, there were. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I remember from the last haiku death match was like, oh my god, did you really just say that? Oh, I didn't love it. But, you know. But that, that's my way of saying I would love to see another like haiku death match. Oh, we're going to do it. What I think we're doing it in June. What are the kind of specialty, if you had, like, your choice of another specialty night, like a cover slam, no rules slam, maybe, like, dedicated voices, like, what other kinds of things would you like to see on that? Oh, show? man. So we've talked about this before, like, uh, but just, like, regular poets in the slam, if we all traded poems, and we did a slam oh. performing each other's pieces, I think that would be fabulous and really, really fun. Um... Because, like, we all bring a very different voice to the stage, and, you know, some some people are more performative than others, but I think it would be really stellar to watch poets do each other's work. It would be so fun. That'd <laughs> and, be great. And so I, that's, like, a that's a specialty slam that I would really enjoy. Cool. We've got team selection coming up. Yes. I saw the list is quite extensive. Yeah, it's um, going to be a crazy night. It's be a crazy night. Uh, what do you expect from that night? And oh, God. are you going to go out for this team? I am going to go out for the team, but <laughs> I just, I, so I'm excited about it. I, I don't have like high aspirations for myself making the team and maybe that's like self-sabotaging or whatever, but I, I really don't care. Um, <laughs> so... But I just think, like, it's all poets I love and get to see all the time. And, like, why wouldn't I want to share a stage with them? And I love these bigger events because we all kind of come together at the end. And it's just a great experience for everyone. Um, 
I don't know. I expect minds to be blown that night. I think it's going to be incredible. I think lots of people are coming out for the team this year. And I think, I don't know, like, I wouldn't want to miss it if I couldn't be in it. So, like, <laughs> I think everyone should come. That's how I feel. Well, one big topic on a lot of people's minds is the Cupsy fiasco, Cupsy debacle. Yes. Um, what's your take on all of that whole mess? I mean, that it, again, it's just that it's people are messy and, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it. Um, I feel like he was a bad choice for a feature. I feel like he is kind of our grandfather with a sordid history, you know, like that's kind of like, I didn't love that. Like he created this cool thing, but I don't really want to give him much credit because he's not my favorite person, you know, but it is what it is. Like that's kind of, that's kind of where I stand on it. I think Slam is a good venue. I think it helps us be accountable. I think it creates space for us to have that conversation. I have been to a lot of open mics where we're clapping for things we really shouldn't be clapping for. And like, that hurts my heart. So like, um, you know, Mark Smith did create a space where you could react to art and he got that reaction. So like everything came full circle. So actually maybe I feel great about it. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was as it should be, apparently. Yeah. yeah. His, his, he was done in by his own creation, really. Um, another big topic is this idea of safe space, and it kind of connects to Mark Smith and this whole Cupsy thing. What do you think Slam's role in safe space is, and what should it be? I think Slam's role in safe space is actually that reaction, is holding people accountable. I don't really feel like we can do anything extra for people. Like, I don't, like, it's just impossible in a three-hour span in a in a venue, wherever you are, like, we're in a restaurant, to, to really keep it a safe space. Like, one time we had this girl, and she was super drunk, and she did the worst thing. She just wandered on stage and hugged someone after they read a really hard poem without asking for consent. But, like, no one saw it coming. Like, it's not like we, you know... We ha if we had foresight, obviously we wouldn't let it happen, but it was people have free will and do weird things that we don't expect them to. Um, and so, yeah, we have a code of conduct. We, we try to do our best, but at the end of the day, is any space really safe? I mean, no, we're, we all have triggers. We all have all sorts of things going on for us. Every day is different and people are unpredictable. That's part of what makes them beautiful. Um, but also, like, what makes it hard. <laughs> so I guess what that's all I really have to say about safe space is, like, our role in safe space is to, to have that conversation about why that didn't make me feel good or why that was a tough poem to read. You know, I think those things are big for us. Nice. Um, shifting away from the big, heavy topics, cool. the, the big thing, uh, what are your personal goals in the realm of Poetry Slam? My personal yeah. Uh, I just want to see this community thrive. I think um, my personal goal in terms of Poetry Slam is just to have more people show up, different voices on that mic. I think that we do a really good job at that, too. Like, every time that I am doing the spreadsheet because I keep the points, I always have new names. And, like, I'm pretty pretty stoked about it every time. Um, 
so that's really what I want to see. Like, I want to see poetry expand to the level where, like, gosh, maybe we need another slam, you know? Like, I mean, we're already weekly, and I don't know that I could manage that. <laughs> but I just, I think it's healing for people. I think we say things that are important for the general public to hear, so I want our audience to expand as well as our voices. Um, and I just, I think to have the most diverse community and touch the most people is, is the, always the goal. So. Um, what do you think, or what do you foresee kind of the direction of Denver poetry heading in? What, what kind of stuff is on the horizon? Oh man. I don't know. There's so many amazing poets and there's so many amazing things happening, even in just like the greater Denver area, you know, like I love house of poetry. I love slam Nuba. I'm excited to see like where slam Nuba lands um you know like mutiny is is doing their thing and like i'm excited to like get to see it because they changed their days so it's not going to be sunday anymore um yeah i like i think the cool thing about poetry in denver is that there's so many different spaces like 10th street like it's just it just continuously expands and and there's i think the sky's the limit so i don't I just expect it to keep growing, and I, I, I hope that we can educate new populations with our words. I think Art from Ashes does a really great job pushing into schools and other communities to help youth like learn. Then Youth on Record does an amazing job. I don't know. Denver is so far advanced compared to like what poetry was like in Hartford that I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to hope for. <laughs> Did you go to any poetry readings back in Connecticut? No, no, I didn't. Um, there's poetry at the Russell for part of the year, but the Russell um, is kind of like a nightclub. And so it, was, it didn't ever really feel accessible to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, we talked about it. My husband at the time and I like had talked about going, but it, it was just like never happened and and also you just didn't hear about it anywhere it wasn't like you wouldn't meet someone at an art event and they'd be like go to poetry so it's very different like i think here once you kind of know about poetry or know one poet you know about all the poetry <laughs> and it's a pretty safe assumption yeah right cafe cultura mm -hmm. there's just so much poetry in denver yeah um, this is National Poetry Month, April. Mm -hmm. How's your thirty thirty been? It's been good. You been keeping up? Yeah, every single day. I even wrote a small one today already. <laughs> I I stopped doing those just because I could never keep up. I think the most I got to was like nine or ten. Yeah, I I think, especially if I'm processing a lot, it's it's easy for me to like just write short pieces. Uh, much harder for me to write those longer pieces. <laughs> uh, I think Susie Q. Smith said that you can't run a marathon every day, but you can walk every day. And I yeah. think that's kind of the point behind it. It's not to write big opuses, not like epic poems, but it's to, to walk, you know, yeah. to, to exercise it. And I think it's been helpful for me, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, last question. Mm -hmm. You are on a beach, okay. come across a magic lamp, you rub it three times, genie pops out, says you have one wish for Denver poetry. What is your one wish? <laughs> I think my like my one wish, and I know this won't happen, but it would be that we like would have access to a giant free venue every night of the week for poetry for all the different groups that want to do it. 
Um, Because I just think space is often an issue, and I think we're seeing that with Slam Nuba right now, and I just, like, wish that we had an open space that could always be a space for poetry, um, and that every poetry group and every poet that wanted to use it could use it any time of the day. You know, I think that would be, that'd be really cool to have an open space. So, yeah. Uh, actually, follow up. Okay. I, I, I lied to you, that was not the last question. Okay, all right. We've got the National Poetry Slam coming to Denver, Colorado. Yes. What has been your experience on the organization part of that, and what do you hope to see? Oh my gosh. outcome I'm I'm so excited about it because it's also my first national poetry slam, so it has like more significance to me um, in that way. And I'm just excited to see all the amazing poets come through. I I'm part of organizing meetings, um, so we've been talking about a lot of things, side events, and things like that, and just all the people that are going to be involved. And I think I think if we all come together, if all the poets in the city come together, it's I mean, there's no way that it can't be epic. You know, we just have so many great people involved. So I, I feel I feel good about it, and I have really high hopes for it. And I think our team's going to be fire. I think the teams coming in are going to be fire. And I think it's going to be a good time. So, uh, what has been your specific role in the organization? Has it just been meetings? Have you been doing volunteer stuff? What, what have you been doing? So mostly I have... I'm going to probably write some copy, um, but mostly I just help with with meetings and that kind of thing. I think as we get closer, my role is going to get greater um, in terms of what's needed. We were, we were really slow up until WOWS, so then now that we can like really push it, the, the dynamic is changing a bit, but I just try to encourage people to volunteer all the time. <laughs> Um, is there any way or any kind of shout outs you want to give any way that uh, people can support you or support the venue support Denver Poetry any last words before we turn off the record yeah come out to the Merc every Sunday at 7.30 to sign up because if you don't get there at 7.30 for sign ups you're, you're not going to get on the list these days so you got to come out and that's pretty much all I have like if you want to volunteer, definitely do that. Any way that you want to get involved, if you want to help, if you want to host, if you want to learn things about entering numbers into spreadsheets, sure, I'll take your help. Just let me know. <laughs> All right. Well, another huge thank you to this week's interview, Jill Carno. Uh, we're going to get back into things, but I just want to say thank you one more time. It was, it was really a treat. It was really a pleasure. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. All right. You heard it from Jill. Get out there, volunteer, become a part of the National Poetry Slam in Denver, Colorado. It is coming to your city the second week in August, and it is really an experience. If you've never been to a National Poetry Slam, then it is another world. It is like a whole separate universe that you step into for a week, where it's nothing but poetry and artists and amazingness and healing, and I can't use enough adjectives to describe what happens at a National Poetry Slam. And the best way to experience that is as a volunteer, because then you get into bouts for free. You're going to get in to see bouts against teams that you never would have gotten to see uh, outside of Denver for free. So you definitely want to check that out. Uh, go to the Facebook page. Uh, go check out uh, the National Poetry Slam website. A couple other quick things I wanted to touch on. 
with Jill, and I think she absolutely nailed it when she was talking about Mark Smith and talking about how he's really kind of been done in by his own creation, about how this this thing that he came up with, this format that he came up with, uh, whether or not he had this idea in mind when he came up with it back in the 80s, it has now evolved and morphed into a thing that is bigger than him and really does have a life of its own. So we'll keep you apprised of the fallout from that uh, Cupsy Finals if it does impact Denver, if it impacts a national scene. Uh, we'll try to keep you updated as often as updates come. So, yeah, now we got uh, just a couple of quick hits, a couple of notable notes. The Podio, the Poetry Slam Rodeo, is actually happening on Friday, the 21st, which, if you are listening to this podcast as soon as it's uploaded, is tomorrow. If you're listening to this podcast the day after it's uploaded, it is today. And the Podio is going to be at the Mercury Cafe. Starts at 6 o'clock in the Jungle Room. And it really is a showcase, a celebration of a lot of different poetry events around Denver. It's got a lot of just open mics, uh, various representatives from different uh, readings from around town. It's going to have representatives from the Mercury Cafe, from Slam Nuba. Um, it's it's really going to be quite a buffet of poetry. If you've never really been out to poetry before, if you've never really gone to an open mic reading or a slam, and you just want to kind of check it out and see what this whole deal is about, definitely check out the Podio that happens on Friday the 21st in the Mercury Cafe Jungle Room starting at 6 o'clock. Other quick hits and notable notes. The Mercury Cafe's Last Chance Slam is this Sunday, the 23rd. This is the last chance to qualify to compete to be on this year's Mercury Cafe national team. If you have been slamming and just don't have enough points to qualify, if you've never slammed before but you think you might want to give it a shot, then this Sunday is your last chance to do that. And I can't even stress how incredibly, ridiculously good this team selection is going to be. And if you want to try to be a part of that, then definitely go out to this last chance slam at the Mercury Cafe. So that leads me to Slam Nuba's team selection, which is going to happen on April 28th at the Crossroads Theater. Uh, Their team selection is always one of the best shows that you're ever going to see all year. Um, You definitely want to get there early to make sure you have a spot because it tends to fill up quickly. And I believe doors for that are going to open at 7 o'clock. So you might want to get there a little bit early just to ensure that you have a seat for one of the best poetry shows of the year at Slam Nuba's team selection. And that leads me to Mercury Cafe's team selection is going to happen April 30th, two days after the Slam Nuba team selection. So we are just knocking out absolutely fantastic show after fantastic show in a couple of weeks. And not this weekend, but the next weekend. And I've already told you, and I will tell you again, until you believe me, until I can't say it anymore, that both of these shows are really going to be some of the best poetry you are going to see all year. It is the best poets in Denver vying to be on a team that represents your city. When the National Poetry Slam comes to Denver, the stakes could not be higher. So you definitely want to check that out. All right. That is going to do it for me. I thank you so much for coming in and listening. I want to give a special thank you to Pauly Lippman. All those who choose to hang out with eggs and cheeses are going to regret it! Special thank you to Jill Carno. I mean, kittens don't know their own strength. Special thank you to the audience at the Mercury Cafe. We already talked about the naked thing. It's a sore subject, so I'm not going to bring it up again. Um, just remember for next time, while you're out there, if you're slamming, if you're not slamming, that the point is not about the points. The point is not even about the poetry. The point is 
was and always will be about the people. We'll see you next week.